Good morning, everybody. My name is Michelle Kimball, and my husband, Bobby, and I have had the honor and pleasure of attending Mansfield Bible Church for the last year and a half now, so I can't believe it's been that long. And I'm always, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, I get to read on the days that I get so emotional, the baptisms, and it's like, this is good. Oops, and then then it goes away. Okay, so um, we have the pleasure of reading from God's Word today, uh, Isaiah uh, 40. Verses 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this is the word of our Lord. Go ahead and be seated and give us just a second here. Got a couple things. Yeah, that'll work. Thanks. Yeah, they felt like I needed a little bit more room to wander up here, so they put the stage up here so that I can walk out there and get real close to y'all and talk to you, you know. Yeah, and Bobby's like, yeah, let's bring it. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, no, next, the reason that's there is because next week is our Christmas Eve service, which we're really excited about. Yeah, we're going to be here during the morning time uh, from 9, we have a service at 9 a.m. and one at 10.30 a.m. And so please bring your friends, uh, invite family that day. It's going to be a great time. We've had our theme this month of Behold Him, and that'll be the theme of our evening as well, or actually Christmas Eve morning. It'll be our theme that morning as well. Even today, we will continue that study that we've had been doing in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, So I would encourage you to to come and uh, bring your friends and let's celebrate together next week. Um, I'm getting a little distracted here because all of a sudden there's things that are popping up and having to clear them, and I always get panicked when I'm I can figure it out in my office, but put me in front of a bunch of people and start working electronics, and I get a little nervous sometimes. And then you never know what you're going to get if I don't have these, um, but, uh, but the Lord can talk to us anyway. All right, thanks, guys, for getting that up as well. So next Sunday, let's be here, and let's come together and worship Him, behold Him. What an honor it is that we can take time out and take a moment and remember who our God is. That we do not serve a God who is limited. We serve a God who is limitless. We serve a God who from everlasting to everlasting is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He does not need you to determine that. He is everlasting, okay? And so he is our majestic and invisible or incredible God that we have. He is indispensable in the sense that we can't do without him. 
We absolutely need him in all the things that we do. And when we take time and we step back and we see him in all of his glory and his perfection and his majesty and his power, and it brings perspective on our lives. It brings perspective on our circumstances and the way that we go about. In fact, because of who he is, it gives us peace in our life. It gives us comfort and it gives us joy because we begin to understand who he is. And that's what God is doing in this passage. And what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is that we can come together and behold him. And that we would think even next Sunday as we would celebrate the advent and the birth of his son and we would recognize here was God in our midst calling us to himself. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of the grace and the mercy and of the love of our God. So today I just pray that as we spend some time here in the last part of Isaiah 40, the Lord speaks to us, he comforts us, he reminds us of who he is that we do not wander around or wander astray, but that we would stay focused in our relationship with him because of who he is. So let's pray. Father God, this morning, we thank you, Father, for the baptisms. It's so exciting to see the, the excitement of the, of, the, of the children, Lord, as they are baptized. And I pray, God, that you just continue to flame in their hearts this passion for you, Lord that you put a hedge about them and protect them and they would grow up to be servants of you all the days of their lives. I thank you for Stacy's testimony. I thank you, Father, for uh, how you've been growing and working in her life and the testimony today. God, we pray that you would just continue to use her and the rest of us within the body of Christ. And Father, somehow we never think we're just kind of all these different individuals. We're part of the body. And God, we desire that you would use us for your glory and your purposes, that you gift us within the body of Christ to be able to do the, the ministry and to do the work that is about us. And so, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for that. I praise you, God, for reminding us. And, Father, let me, uh, let me just say thank you for reminding me of your greatness. We go through a life, and it's so easy, Father, how distracted we can get how we can begin to look at all the things around us and, and the events and the circumstances. And sometimes we just need to stop and back up and behold you in all of your glory. It brings true comfort. It brings peace when there's chaos. It, it gives us strength when we should be weak. Father, for you are truly our God and we praise your name. Please go past, Father all of my own iniquities and, and my own shortcomings, my own sins, Father, and, and speak to us, your people, that we might grow in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Isaiah chapter 40, we've been seeing here over and over again whereby God is speaking to his people and he's showing them who he is. We understand that there's been a prophecy again that they're going to be in captivity and it's going to be for 70 years. But God is reminding them he will bring them back. He will deliver them. And the picture is that in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of these struggles, he wants them to see who he is. 
that, that when we understand who God is, it puts perspective on our lives. And he's saying the same thing to them, he's saying the same thing to us today. As we stand here, that we behold our God, and the thing that we see today in our God is our God is inexhaustible. Our God is endless in power, endless in strength, because he's our true God. When you take a look at your circumstances and the weight and the burdens of our, of our chaos of life, he brings peace. He brings a supernatural joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He, he comforts us because of his presence and who he is. God never worries. He never loses. God, God never stresses. I, I don't think God, I can ever see him up there wringing his hands, wondering, oh, I hope everything works out. We hold, behold our God because he's limitless in power, in strength, in energy, and in life-changing glory because he can change our lives. This is our God in this chapter in Isaiah 40. And the reality is when I look at this, I'm just the opposite. I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm sinful. I'm inadequate. I'm just insufficient. When I look at my own iniquities, I'm brought down by those, those burdens and the awareness that my sinfulness and my inability to do anything on my part that is righteous to God except by his grace, except by his mercy. And so God is speaking to his people here, and he's speaking to a people who are facing despair. Look at it, if you will, in verse 27, Isaiah chapter 40. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by, by my God. Listen to that. that those, are, those are strong words. And it's in the times that when we find ourselves in the midst of struggles and we find ourselves in the, in the midst of life and, and the life seems to be a burden that we find ourselves the most likely to be tempted towards doubt. It's a time that we find ourselves to be tempted towards discouragement. It's the time when we find ourselves to be tempted towards despair. And that's the great tactic of our enemy. It's the great tactic of, of, of Satan himself is to convince you and to lead you away from God and to convince you that, 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 that God doesn't love you or that God doesn't care about you. And we see in these statements, we see a despair of the people of God and there's for good reason because they're, they're looking at an exile that's gonna take place. They're going to be moved 900 miles away from where they are now, which in their day is a long ways, by the way. They didn't have planes to get there in a couple hours. They're losing hope. How do I know that? Because look what they say. We are hidden from God. In other words, he doesn't see us anymore. We are disregarded by God. He doesn't care for us. And if we're really honest, sometimes all of us in this room have felt that way. We wonder where he is. They even wonder where the justice of the Lord is. Like, where are my rights? Has God disregarded them? 
Has he forgotten about me altogether? And that's exactly where the people of God are in this text. But remember, this is what sin does to us too. The reason that they went into exile was a result of sin. That was the burden of what they were facing when they began to realize their own iniquities and the cost of it. Sin allows us to to move away from God. It, It blinds us from the truth of God. It causes us to see the promises of God. In fact, I've got a slide up here. What happens is sin blinds us to the truth of God. And what happens is we begin to to live in a way. In fact, I I will always say this. I've said this before. You want to get away from God? Just go sin all that you can. Because there's two things that cannot exist. The righteous, holy God that we believe in and iniquity. And that's why Jesus had to come, right? He had to come and live a perfect life and he he died on a cross and he rose again and he provided righteousness, he provided life because we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. He brought life and that's what sin does, it separates us and and it blinds us to truth and it blinds us to who God is. The lack of faith causes us to disbelieve the, disbelieve the promises of God. That we begin to hear the promises of God and we say, oh yeah, that's not true. It doesn't work for me. It works for him over there, but not for me. We don't believe that God is consistent. That's where they were at. Oh, he's disregarded my rights. He's not listening to me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. And we have these things in life where the waves and the, and the problems and the difficulties of life just keep crashing against us. And we think, well, hey, where is God? That's exactly where they were. And when we fall down, we continue to go down, that deal Satan lies to us about the character of God. That God isn't righteous. God isn't all-powerful. If God was all-powerful, he would immediately deliver us. He would not allow the pain and the iniquity in my life. He would not allow the difficulties that I'm facing. And Satan begins to lie to us about his character and that God doesn't love us anymore. And when we go down these paths, it just leads us to despair. It leads us to a place whereby we can't see God at work in our lives anymore. We can't see God pulling us out of the difficulties that we're facing. And if you continue to follow that, You're only going to grow more and more and more in despair. And what will happen is you'll totally exclude God out of your life. It's one of the foremost tactics of our adversary, Satan himself, is to lie to us about the love of God or the character of God. John Knox, who was a Scottish reformer, he had this quote. He said, By what means Satan first drew mankind from the obedience of God? He's talking about Adam and Eve there. What was it that drew them to disobey God, to eat of this this fruit in the tree? What was it that drew them away? He He says, the scripture does witness to wit by the pouring into their hearts that poison. What is that poison? What is the poison he's talking about? That poison is that God did not love them. They looked at that tree and they saw it was good and they saw the goodness of the tree. Why would God withhold good from us? Does does God not love us? And to be honest with you, the applications of that 
as many in, in, in our lives in this room. All of us can think of those times where we think that God withheld when why didn't certain things happen and when we bite in that poison of that, of that, of that, of that fruit, it leads us to despair. We begin to look elsewhere for the love that we so much desire from our creator. We begin to try to fulfill the things in our lives in other ways instead of through the only source that there is and that can fill those needs and those voids that we have in our life, our creator, the God Almighty, from everlasting to everlasting. And yet I must admit, and probably some of you in this room this morning have been tempted to despair. The weight of the season, the weight of the of the world that we live in, the weight of the job, the weight of family, the things that are going on, whatever it is, there's things that are happening. And and it begin to wonder, is God listening? Is God see? Does God know? And it's shocking how quickly we can go down that path of despair and lose sight of the truth of God, of who he is and his love for us. Look at that word there in verse 27. He says, He says, my way is hidden. That that word hidden, the tense is such that it's a settled fact. In other words, what they're saying is they they have settled on a conclusion that their way is hidden from God. God isn't even concerned about what's going on in their life. Our way is hidden. God doesn't care. The next word there is disregarded. He says, my right is disregarded. The word disregarded, the tense is continuous experience. So he's saying, what they are saying is, nothing's gonna change, it's always gonna be this way. God's gonna always not care about us. God's gonna always not be concerned about us. He's not gonna see me and my problems and the difficulties he has. And it's doom and gloom, let's just give up. Despair. Is in despair where doubt of God's care for us comes. It's in despair when we become discouraged about the things of God. It's in despair that we begin to believe that God doesn't love us. It's when we begin to walk down that lane and that we begin to think that. We have to guard our hearts and our minds from these errors of truth. We need to behold our God. We need need to not allow our circumstances to dictate God's love and character towards us. Rather that God's love and his character dictates our circumstances. See, that's that's the lie of verse 27. Is that God had failed them. And they must be silenced through faith. There must be a silencing of that through the faith in the truth of God's word. And that's the second point here. It's found in verse 28. The second point is, this is when our theology, get, me the, get this now, this is when our theology becomes indispensable. Oh, Greg, don't talk theology. I mean, we could, you know, you open up theology, you open a can of worms, well, all this. When I mean theology, I mean our study of who God is. Our study of God, it is important that we, as God's people, have good theology, that we have good doctrine, good teaching, that we understand who our God is, or else we will falter under the pressures of this world. We will falter 
in despair. We will falter in the way that we go about our lives because we don't understand him. If sin and lies lead us away from God, then truth of who God is leads us back to him. So if you're living in that place where you're finding yourself despaired, you're finding yourself wondering, does God really understand my circumstances? Does God really care about me? Does he, does he regard me anymore? If you're in that place, don't believe the lies, but move to the truth of God's word that he might bring you back to himself. It's the truth of the word that allows us to understand. That's why verse 28 follows verse 27. Look at verse 28. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? I love that. Like, do you not understand? You've been taught this. This is nothing new. Maybe you've heard this before, but you need to hear it again. Why do we grow tired hearing the same truth over and over again in the Word of God? Because we have short memories and we forget. We need to hear God's word and we need to love it. And when we hear it, we take joy and it grows within us and it blossoms into obedience and righteousness and understanding of who God is. We walk into our religion and our belief with our own ways and our own purposes. And we don't understand why everything seems to be falling around us. Because I don't follow God so my life will just be better. I follow him because he's true. And from everlasting to everlasting, the king of kings, and I realize I am frail and I am weak and I have a lot of iniquity and I need him. And what he did in the, in the, through his son, Jesus Christ. So, the, so you need to know him because the more that you know him, then your life must live the truth of who he is. And he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? It just kind of blows me away. One commentator said this about the people in verse 27. They, he called them practical atheists. I never heard that before. Meaning they, they say they believe, but they live like atheists. Boy, this is going to get convicting here for a second. Some of y'all are sitting there going, please don't go any further. <laughs> they profess belief, but when the rubber meets the road and the trials come and the iniquities come and the difficulties come and the things are happening, they switch from living, to, they switched and live practically as an atheist, as though, God, as, though, as though the God they say they believe in doesn't really exist, that he won't do what he has promised to do. I, I, I thought about that. I even, hey, I'm not trying to talk to your lives right now, okay? But I look at that in my own life. How many times I've, I've said things where I've gone and I'm, I'm like kind of going my way or kind of doing things and realizing, hey, I'm not sure that I am really believing that he is the answer. I get, I get those old record players playing in my head that keep telling me I'm nothing, that I can't do these things. You, you have them too. And then to be reminded, you know what? <laughs> I am nothing. I'm weak. 
And I look to the one who is inexhaustible in power and strength. It's, it's our understanding of theology and who he is that we begin to endure in the midst of the difficulties. It should challenge us. Sure, it's easy to believe God when everything's going well. It's when we doubt him is when life deals us the blows that are unexpected and we begin to doubt his love and his care. What changed? The only thing that changed was circumstances and your faith. That's the only thing that changed. God didn't change. And so when we look at doctrine and we look at understanding, it's in the midst of their despair that these believers, these people of God that here, it's in the midst of their, their despair that they need to answer to God, that God responds to them and he tells them the answer is him. The answer isn't for them just to get out of slavery, out of bondage. The answer isn't just that they have a better job. The answer isn't a better place to live. The answer isn't just more money in the bank. The answer is he himself, the God Almighty. Now's the time for God's people to be rooted in truth and in in the word of God. Why do you think we at Mansfield Bible spent a whole semester, a whole since starting August till, till today, learning Bible study methods? Why? Because God's people need to understand this book. We need to know how to study it and incorporate it. Why do we have studies Bible studies, the, the women's do the, does the rooted. Why do we do those things? So that people of God will understand the word of God so that when the trials of life is, is slamming on them, they don't become despaired, but they understand the everlasting power and strength of their God and they get rooted in who he is. Look what he says in verse 28. The Lord is the everlasting God. Not this kingdom, not this world. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the end of the earth. He's the creator. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In other words, you can't get to a place that he, oh, God goes, you know what, I don't think I really, I don't think I studied that one yet. Let me, it's unsearchable. You don't get to the end. It means he is superior and no one and nothing is like him. He is our God. He doesn't grow weary. And man, I am weak, but God is not. He is our God, unshakable, full of grace and and truth. This is why theology and truth becomes indispensable so we don't fall away and believe the lies. We don't allow the lies to seep up into our lives and overtake us. And we grow in despair. Rather, we behold our God and we see there is hope in our despair and in our circumstances because of who he is. We behold our God because there is joy and the joy of the Lord is my strength. I used to say that a lot until I understood it, by the way, to begin to realize that even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, there can be joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
that, be our, that our God is a loving God. He demonstrated that in the work of his son. Don't forget the greatness of our God and remember that you are his people. Remember that. Because uh, we're going to be tempted towards despair. But our theology is indispensable. And we must also allow our weakness to become our strength. That's the next verse in verse 29. He says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. The word faint there is the idea of falling under life's pressures. That life just continues to press in and press in and we fall underneath it. Has no might is the idea of weakness, one who has no vitality. In fact, if you look at verses 28 through 31, seven times God speaking to his people uses the word faint or weary. He is trying to address those who are growing in their weariness, who are growing faint. And who are the ones that are faint? They're there in verse 27. We just read it. They were those that were complaining about God not hearing them. Ray Ortland says in about those in verse 20, 27, he says, they are weak in faith, they are spiritually fatigued, they are weak in courage, and they feel like quitting. I read this quote just recently from John Piper on, in the Roots of, uh, of Exchange. In fact, I have it up here. He says, I know that I am in great measure a child of my times. And one of the pervasive marks of our time is emotional uh, fragility. It hangs in the air, we breathe, we are easily hurt, we pout and we mope easily, we blame easily, we break easily, our marriages break easily, our faith breaks easily, our happiness breaks easily, and our commitment to the church breaks easily. We are easily disheartened, and it seems like we have little capacity for surviving and thriving in the face of criticism and opposition. Think about that. That quote was quite convicting and inspiring at the same time. The reason for the lack of spiritual fruit in that quote is from people looking to themselves rather than to God. The more we look at ourselves, the more fragile we become. The more that we look to the Lord, we find strength that's why we behold our God. What does the text say? God gives strength. He renews strength. When we look around at the burdens of this world and, and we take our eyes off the Lord, we grow faint. We grow weak in our faith. We begin to drift. We begin to walk away. And so we behold our God because this world is, is exhausting but our God has endless strength and he will strengthen his people. So not only do we, in fact, let me, I got a slide up here. Really, this is the outline. I probably should have done this from the beginning. But I wanted you to see the flow because in verse 27, we will be tempted towards despair. Sometimes we grow despaired. We grow weak. We grow faint. We wonder those questions. Does God know what we're going through? This is when we need our theology because it becomes indispensable because when I understand who God is, I can put in perspective the circumstances and the things that I'm facing. 
The, the things that I'm going through, I can put them in perspective because of who he is. And now I must allow our weakness to become his strength. In other words, I understand this. I am frail. I am weak. I am, I am a sinner. And I need him. I need his strength. I need his power. And so we need to yield ourselves and allow his strength to work in our lives. And this final point in this last verse is, then we will find renewal as we rest in him. That renewal comes not because we run strong, not because I can handle more than you. Renewal comes because we trust in the Lord. It's a, it's a position of faith. In fact, if you look at it, look at verse 30. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I like this idea of youth and young men because it refers to those in their prime, in their top physical condition. Take an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete, that they in their top physical prime, even they will grow faint and weary. That's what the text tells us. They shall fall exhausted. There's not enough strength. We are a people dependent on him. And if we don't know who our God is, we won't depend on him. If we don't know his character and his love towards us, we won't rest in him. The best of the best in our world of athletes it's not enough to make them in their strength. That's why there's a contrast in verse 31. Look at it, very first word, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. There's a picture here, and what he's trying to teach us here is that, what is, that we are to wait on the Lord. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does that mean? Be still, know that he is the Lord. We wait on him by faith. It's, it's waiting on his deliverance in the case of the, of the people of God here that they would wait on him to deliver them from captivity and not to grow in despair, but to know that the Lord is coming, that the Lord will provide this. It's to live by faith and expectation of God to fulfill his promises towards us, to do that which he said he would do. It's not sitting around doing nothing, but rather it is the discipline, listen to me, the discipline of walking by faith and dependence on our Lord, believing him to do what he said he would do. When I thought about this, I, I couldn't help but to think, and so I'm going to do something probably I'm going to maybe regret because I want to spend some time, I want to, I say spend time, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes in the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews, I think, lays this out perfectly for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is constantly dealing with these believers or these people who were not necessarily believers, and they were walking away from the faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, I have it up here. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What is he talking about? In the very verse before this, he's talking about how their, their possessions have been plundered. They cared about the, those who were in prison. They compared about those who were, who were lost. But, but now they're throwing it away. 
They're leaving Christianity. They're going back to Judaism. And he says to them, for you have need of endurance. I used to always read that and go, I wonder what he means. What do you mean, read endurance? What do you need, mean, need endurance? He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the thing to understand this, is that what they need is endurance to believe God so that they can receive that which God has promised. So what I do is I begin to believe what God has said. If I believe him, that he's going to redeem me, that Christ is coming again, and he's going to establish who I am in Christ. I'm already there, by the way, Colossians chapter 3. My life is hidden in Christ, right? I'm already there. Christ who is your life. I love that phrase. That's my life. That's who I am. That you would receive that promise. He said, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. He's quoting out of Habakkuk, I believe, chapter 2. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What's he talking about? He's talking about those who would follow after him, would follow after him in faith. That's why I say this is a discipline of faith. And he goes on, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith, here it is again, and preserve their souls. So this is the last part of chapter 10. Everybody know what's in chapter 11? Somebody say it, hall of faith, right? Hall of faith. And these people, let's go ahead and go there, verses one and two. So he goes on, now faith, he's building on this, you have need of endurance, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by, for by it, the people of old received their combination. Now, here's the pictures. That word substance, always like it. It's like this substructure. And the picture of what we believe is hope is not like I'm going to go out here and I hope I'm going to find a million dollars out in the parking lot. That's like totally impossible. Just want you to know that. If God wants to do it, yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, we're not going to find a million dollars out there, right? So, I, so I'm putting my hope in something vain, that there's going to be concrete out there and there's just going to be a million dollars laying there. I know somebody, dog walker, is going to find it before I will, that comes to the parking lot, right? But the substructure for us is God. That he's a structure in which we stand. We stand by faith in him. So it's not a blind faith. It's a faith on the person of God. So if we don't understand who God is, how can we Walk by faith. How can we stay away from despair? How can we stay away from the lies of our adversary? How do, we, how do we deal with our thoughts when we think God doesn't care if we don't understand who he is and he's the one that we stand on? It's by faith. And what the author does is in the rest of this chapter, he talks about these great people of faith. I love, I love David, you know, this little boy with a, with a sling. Here's, here's Goliath. I think I shared it last week. You know, he's yelling out these blasphemies. And, now, and Israel's standing there afraid. And David's like, who is this guy? Why? Because he saw God. He didn't see Goliath. He saw what God could do. When they're marching around Jerusalem and they're just marching... I mean, like, I pray to God that if I was there, I wouldn't be like on day six, you know, like, Lord, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know why you do that? Because you can't see your God. 
But when you see him, he marched that seventh time and then you shout out and the walls begin to crumble. Why? Because it's not the walls you're looking at, it's the God you're looking at. And he goes through and there's some great victories, but at the end of it, there's those who are destitute, living in caves, cut in two, which, which the word of God tells us of which this world is not even worthy talking about them. It's not their circumstances. They looked past the circumstances. Moses looked past the riches of Egypt and saw the city of God. It's the same for us, that we look past the circumstances. We don't grow despair. We don't grow thinking God doesn't care. We look past the circumstances and we see our God. So that he says right after chapter 11, chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also do what? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us. Lay aside all of those things when we're thinking God doesn't care. Those sins that we have in our lives that pull us around, down and blinds us from the truth of God. Lay them aside. And what does he say? Let us run with endurance the race. A minute ago, he just says, you have need of endurance. And now he's saying, run with endurance. Why? Because he just taught him about faith. That is set before us, and I love this phrase, looking to Jesus. Where are you supposed to be looking? The circumstances? Behold your God. All right, who's inexhaustible in mercy and grace and power and strength, the everlasting king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There is no one like him. Behold your God. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, that he was involved, he was in the work of our salvation, who, set, who for, the joy set, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When he went to the cross, he saw the cross, he saw the shame. He didn't look at the shame of the cross. He saw the glory that was to be his when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because he's the son of God. You as a believer, don't grow in despair. Don't grow in weakness. Look past the circumstances and see your God that he might lift you up like the wings of eagles that you will run and you won't grow weary not because of your strength because you have faith in an almighty God who's everlasting to everlasting. There is no one like him. You see, you have need of discipline in, in, in him. In fact, I put up another slide here. I, maybe I did this all right well enough, but just so you understand, you have, he's teaching them here, you have need of endurance. Righteous ones shall live by faith. He gives example of the hall of faith. Now he tells us, let us do the same thing. I'm challenging you this morning, dear people of God, let us look to Jesus. Let us behold our almighty God. In the days that we're celebrating, as we think of the advent of Christ, as we celebrate next Sunday and we behold him, let us remember that our God stepped into our world. He did not leave us in darkness, that there was hope to a people who were in darkness. And that hope is in his son, Jesus Christ. And by faith, 
We are waiting on him. We are resting in his work. And it's not a part-time commitment. This is not part-time, people. We like to compartmentalize our God, you know, like, hey, here's God where he belongs, but this over here, this is my thing. That's not, that's not waiting on the Lord. That's, that's foolishness. That isn't faith. That made you God. You determine when God should be involved or not. When we're waiting on him in the discipline of faith, we walk after him. The promise in verse 31, listen to it again, but they, will, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The promise is that to those who will wait on the Lord, they will be renewed. They will be strengthened. They will be strengthened. One leads to strength and one leads to exhaustion. One leads to, to the power of God working in our lives. The other leads to the power of self that has nowhere to go. How do I know that? I, I drive by a graveyard every time I come in here. I drive by. You can't beat, you can't beat death except through Christ. There is no other hope. Behold, your inexhaustible God. He renews his people and he strengthens them. Do you feel the weight of the world right now? Do you need strength? Take some time. Take your Bible. Go out and be still in the quiet places and read of his worth and read of his glory and of his majesty that our hope is in him. Our strength is in him. He is our deliverer. He is our redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, your people, that there are some of us here this morning, Father, that need to be strengthened. And Father, maybe the voices of doubt and the voices of discouragement, the voices of despair, maybe, Father, they've been kind of wandering into our life because we've been looking around at this world. We've been looking at the things of the world and the things that are going on and things going on in and around our lives. And Father, we haven't been looking to you so, Father, those things have begun to overwhelm us. They've begun to distract us and cause us to believe lies. May your spirit right now, Father, speak to our hearts and encourage us. Realign our eyes, Father, that we step back and behold who you are. I pray, God, that your spirit right now would move among us and that, Father, you would speak to us and we're not thinking about somebody else. We're just thinking, Father, about our walk with you. Instruct us and teach us, God, that we would not continue in darkness, but that, Father, we would walk in the strength and the power and the might of our God. That, Father, you have done for, towards us. That, Father, that just, just the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that works in us. Let us, Father, see that and understand that and not grow and walk in weakness and fear, but, Father, walk in the power and the might of our almighty God. To you, God, be the glory and the praise and the honor forever and ever. Amen.